0: This is the Battle Gorilla LEGO Podcast, Episode 20, The Art of Custom LEGO Minifigures, DIY, and Third-Party Magic. The secret title of today's episode is ABS Plastic Surgery. It's often said that you can build anything out of LEGO. If it's something that you can imagine, then it's something that you can build. And that's mostly true. Admittedly, Larger-scale things are more buildable than smaller-scale objects, because you can use some of the smaller Lego pieces to create detail. But the smaller the object, the more difficult specific details become. Especially when you're talking about something the size of a minifigure. Something like, oh, say, an actual minifigure. When trying to recreate an actual person or character in minifigure form, you are far more limited in what you can achieve, limited by the finite number of designs that Lego has printed on legs, torsos, heads, and hair pieces or headwear. This has led to the practice, and some would say the necessity, of minifigure customization. And that has led to the topic of this episode. The disclaimer. Lego is a trademark of the Lego Group of Companies, which does not sponsor, Authorize or endorse this podcast. Are you ready to listen to the world's number one Lego podcast recorded in my apartment? Podcasting is awesome. Especially when it's about the Lego fan scene. Podcasting is awesome. Hey, check out this audio stream. Welcome to the Battle Gorilla Lego podcast. My name is Mike Sneath and I'm your host. Let's get right into it. At some point back in 1997, I came to the realization that I really wanted a minifigure of Spider-Man. Unfortunately for me, there were no minifigures of Spider-Man in 1997. And, as my train of thought from back then continued, there never ever would be, because Spider-Man was a Marvel Comics character, and Lego simply didn't make sets based on licensed properties. They never had, and there was no reason to think they ever would. I had no idea that two years later, Lego Star Wars sets would start hitting store shelves, and that they'd be so successful that they would open the licensing floodgates initiating a veritable tidal wave of LEGO themes based on existing IPs. Not knowing this, I certainly didn't know that three years after that, LEGO would pick up the license to do sets for the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, which would mean that suddenly there were official LEGO Spider-Man minifigures. So, without any of this knowledge, my 1997 realization that I wanted a Spidey minifig meant that my two options were to either want it, but not have it, or to make it myself. Prior to this, I had purchased an incredibly disappointing box of Lego at Goodwill. I knew it was a gamble when I bought it, and it turned out to not have been a winning one. About half the bricks were either Mega Blocks or Tycho Super Blocks. Plus, there was a much larger quantity of toy soldiers, golf keys, and disturbing clumps of hair than I was comfortable with. But there were several minifigures in that lot. Dirty minifigures, caked on dirt like they'd been pulled out of the mud and left to dry. I took one of those minifigures, disassembled it, and then thoroughly cleaned it. Then I coated the parts in gray primer, and once it had all dried, reassembled it. Then I applied paint to it. Red, blue black and white, Spider-Man colors. When I had finished, I was really pleased with it. Well, all except for the eyes. The eyes could definitely have been better. Fortunately for me, my friend Michael Reinsch stopped by that day, and when I showed him what I'd been working on, he generously offered to touch up the eyes for me. As an artist, he was far more skilled with a paintbrush than I was, so... After he had finished redefining the eyes on Spidey's mask, I considered it a success. Now, I didn't go so far with it as to include the web lines on his costume because I knew that I wouldn't be able to successfully get any details that fine onto the figure by hand. But I didn't really care. I had a Spider-Man minifigure, which had been the point of the whole exercise. It wasn't until over a decade later when I discovered the online LEGO fan community that i found out that minifigure customization was actually an accepted practice that a lot of afols participated in rather than just that one really weird thing i had once done the easiest and probably most common form of minifigure customization is what are called purist customs making a purist custom is simply taking existing and unmodified lego minifigure parts and building a minifig That looks as close to the character that you are trying to build as you can. Here's an example. Disassemble two sets of plain legs. One red, one blue. Attach the two blue legs to the red hips. Put a blue torso on top of that. Go to your castle figures and get a red cloak. Put that on the new figure's neck post. Over the cloak, place a neck bracket with the stud on the back. But... Put it on backwards, so that the stud is actually on the front. Then put a head with a male face on it, add a black hairpiece, and finally attach a one-by-one printed tile with the letter S to the stud on the front of the torso. Boom! Superman! Now, is it a good Superman figure? No. No, it is not. But is it a recognizable Superman? Yes, it is. Even if only in terms of visual shorthand, if you're familiar with Superman, you will recognize this minifigure as representing that character. A better-looking example. One of the minifigures I'd like to have is that of Incredible Hulk-supporting character Doc Samson. Samson traditionally wears blue pants with yellow boots. I've got a minifigure from the people pack fun at the beach set with traditional Lego yellow skin, wearing blue swim trunks with bare lower legs and feet. If Lego was to ever make a Doc Samson figure, I have no doubt that they'd use the exact same legs from that beachgoer. Samson also wears a short-sleeved red shirt with a yellow lightning bolt on it. Now, Samson's yellow lightning bolt is different than the yellow lightning bolt on the Flash's red costume. But am I willing to use it for now in the hopes that something closer will eventually come along? Yes, I am. And I can get short red sleeves with light nougat lower arms from the Marvel character Hyperion, Gaston from Disney's Beauty and the Beast, or the Hawaiian shirt version of Dick Grayson from the Lego Batman movie. Samson's long green hair I can swipe, strangely enough, from another gamma radiation augmented character, She-Hulk. Now all I need to do is find an appropriate light nougat colored head, and I'll have a 100% purist, mostly accurate, custom minifigure of Doc Samson. Breaking down a character's look and seeking out existing Lego parts to build them as a minifigure is probably going to feel a lot like designing a sig fig breaking down the components of your own look and finding the parts to build yourself as a minifigure. The next step beyond purest customs is the use of third-party upgrades to existing LEGO minifigures. An easy example of this is the Clone Trooper from Star Wars. If you spend a little bit of time looking into this online, it seems like a whole industry has sprung up to support Star Wars LEGO fans with merchandise to upgrade their Clone Troopers. It starts off with simple additions, pauldrons and waist capes made from the same type of fabric as traditional Lego capes. They also offer things like backpacks and jetpacks that you can use to upgrade your clone troopers. These are typically ABS plastic, just like the vast majority of Lego elements are. There are helmet add-ons, like antennas, and visors, both regular and macro-binocular style. So far, That's all just simple add on stuff. Take your existing Clone Trooper minifig and add this stuff to it. But it doesn't stop there. Are you concerned that your Clone Trooper's helmet isn't as movie accurate or animated series accurate as it could be? Well, don't fret. You can also choose from a vast array of different helmet styles from these folks to buy for your Trooper. Their own unique molds, made once again from ABS plastic and then printed with whatever colorful details are deemed necessary. When your new helmet arrives in the mail, just swap it out for your trooper's original helmet. We've now moved from add-ons into the category of replacements. And, if we're replacing our helmets anyway, are we sure that we're satisfied with LEGO's clone trooper torsos? Because alternate torsos are available as well. Usually, actual LEGO torsos that have had these new designs printed on them. And, yeah, of course, legs too. You can buy all of this stuff piece by piece, but there's usually an option to buy a complete custom clone trooper as well. Clone troopers aren't the only minifigures with easily obtainable upgrade potential. There are nearly as many accessories and upgrades available for Mandalorians, but that's probably enough about Star Wars minifigures for the moment. Alternate minifigure heads are a thing, again, usually official Lego minifig heads, with printing added by third-party vendors. Some of these are meant as permanent replacements, superhero with a more accurate mask, or simply a character with a more detailed face print. Others are meant as more temporary alternate options, the same basic face, but with a different facial expression. You might be surprised at just how many emotions can be portrayed just by altering the size and shape of the eyes on Spider-Man's mask. One of the more popular trends I've seen from the aftermarket seems a little bit more... invasive than some of the other upgrades. Alternate arms. I'm not talking about weapons here. These third-party vendors are a whole different kind of arms merchant. I'm talking about the arms that traditionally come attached to your minifigure, two per torso. LEGO doesn't do a lot of arm printing. Some, but not a lot. Which some people understandably saw as an untapped market. The first time I saw third-party printed arms for sale, they were a set of tan arms with the Ghostbusters symbol printed on one shoulder, meant for upgrading the minifigures from the original LEGO Ideas Ecto-1 set. Nowadays, if LEGO releases a large set with no arm printing on the minifigures, you can almost immediately find a third-party arm pack available with printed replacements. And I have to admit, if it wasn't for the expense, I'd have already bought printed arm replacements for my minifigures from the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 sets. Now, supposing that you are a do-it-yourselfer and want to create your own customs with as few third-party accessories as possible. I have absolutely no idea how a person would go about creating their own detailed minifigure arms, starting with just the plain unprinted pieces. I'm sure that it's possible. They say anything is possible. I'm also sure it takes a lot more skill than I personally have, or even really understand. Heads aren't as bad as arms, are still a little tricky being round and everything. Legs are easier than heads, but still have their challenges. The side of the leg is easier than the front. The front of a minifigure leg consists of several sections that you pretty much have to do individually. Most of them straight, but one curved. Torsos. Torsos are fairly simple to customize. I would not advise painting your minifigure as a means of customizing it. Yes, that is how my original Spider-Man minifigure came to be. That is not, however, how I'd do it if I was doing that same thing today. My current method of minifigure customization is not to put the design directly onto the torso, but to instead put the design onto something more like a sticker or a water slide decal, and then apply that to the torso. Of course, I'm not just free-handing the design onto a blank sticker with pens or a paintbrush. No, the design gets done, then modified, redone, and altered half a dozen times or more in the computer. Computer art programs are your friend. Photoshop, if you're fancy. MS Paint, if you're cheap. GIMP, if you're both fancy and cheap, as GIMP is known as the poor man's version of Photoshop and is available for free on the internet. After that, as long as you've got some blank stickers, even blank mailing labels from Walmart or Amazon work for this, and a functioning printer, you're good to go. Or, as in my case, if your sister and brother in law have a functioning printer. Doing a search on Google Images, or even Pinterest, for custom minifigure torso will provide you with a wealth of examples for inspiration. Or, if you're more the piratey type, straight up plundering. I mean, If somebody has already done the work of designing the custom torso you had in mind and made it available on the internet for you, it would be almost rude not to use it, right? And if for some reason the custom that you're trying to design is obscure enough that there isn't already a torso design for it online, those same searches should have shown you a template or two with blank outlines for minifigure torsos, along with legs, heads, and so on, an ideal starting point to load into your art program so you can begin designing your Masterpiece Custom Torso. One of the mocks that I brought to the 2015 Bricks Cascade was a superhero build called The Oath, which was primarily my brick-built rendition of the central power battery on the planet Oa. If you're unfamiliar with Green Lantern lore, the central power battery is a giant, green, lantern-looking thing that provides power to all of the various Green Lantern power rings. Surrounding that iconic structure, I had 40 or 50 members of the Green Lantern Corps, right arms raised in salute as they recited the Green Lantern Oath. This meant that when I was in the process of putting this thing together, I suddenly found myself in need of 40 or 50 Green Lantern minifigures. Not counting the Comic-Con exclusive figure, There had only been one Lego Green Lantern minifigure released at that point, and I didn't have the money to try and buy the 40 or 50 torsos and legs from that figure that I was going to need. 40 or 50 plain black torsos and sets of legs, on the other hand? That I could afford. So I went the custom route. The official Green Lantern figure had green boots printed down at the bottom of the legs, and I decided to just ignore that. No boots for these lanterns. Just plain black legs. Plain black arms. Plain white hands. I stole the white hands from every white-handed minifigure I had to build these guys, gals, and its. Then came the heads. As the Green Lantern Corps is an intergalactic organization, I went to my collection of minifigs and used every non-human minifigure head I could find. Star Wars aliens. The criminals from the Space Police 3 line, the invading aliens from Alien Conquest, various animal heads, etc. And, while browsing Bricklink, uh, I discovered that there had been a SpongeBob SquarePants set where SpongeBob and Patrick had been playing superheroes or something, so there existed a Patrick head wearing a green face mask. That got immediately ordered and included in my mock. How could it not? but I still had those plain black torsos to deal with. I figured that I'd have to start work designing my own with MS Paint. But before I did that, I did a search for custom Green Lantern Torso and discovered that someone had indeed posted one. Practically identical to the official Lego version, I declared it to be good enough and downloaded it. Then pasted it into a word processor document, copied and pasted it a whole bunch of times, and then printed out several sheets of stickers with that design. Carefully cut each sticker out with a pair of scissors, and then spent a long afternoon with a pile of those stickers and a container of torsos. Affixing torso sticker after torso sticker after torso sticker. The end result of creating all those custom Green Lantern minifigures looked good. I had no complaints about them. Which isn't to say that I wouldn't make some changes if I had to do that again. All of those figures were wearing identical uniforms, the standard uniform that everyone is given when they join the Corps. But a lot of Green Lanterns will customize their uniform to suit their personality, or cultural or planetary customs, or whatever. So, if I was to ever do this again, I'd only have about half of them in the standard uniform. Then I'd create a bunch of similar, but still different enough torso designs, so that half of my group of Green Lanterns had unique uniforms. A lot of work, yes, but I think the end result would be worth it. So that's stickers. As I indicated, I personally find that designs on stickers are far superior to trying to paint designs directly onto plain minifigure parts. However, a lot of the AFOLs that I've talked to from the minifigure customization crowd have informed me that waterslide decals are far superior to using stickers. I don't have any experience with using waterslide decals, so I can't really comment on how they compare to stickers. I do have an original torso design that I have had printed onto waterslide decals, but not having ever worked with them in the past, I have not yet summoned up the courage necessary to make my initial attempt at applying them to a blank torso. I will. One day. Just not today. Not today, and not any of the yesterdays that have passed since I obtained them several months ago. Of course, if you have a friend that has the equipment to do UV printing, or pad printing, on ABS plastic, or better yet, if you yourself have that sort of equipment, and if you do, would you like to be my friend? Then you can skip stickers and decals entirely, and just... Print the designs from your computer art program directly onto your blank Lego pieces. Now, almost everything I've said so far in this episode is largely dependent upon the custom character you're trying to create, having a head, torso, and legs that conform to the standard Lego minifigures' size and shape of head, torso, and legs. If the custom character you're trying to make has a giant eyeball for a head or has the lower body of an accordion-style jack-in-the-box, or even something as seemingly simple as the exaggerated forearms of a custom Popeye minifigure. Then you've got some sculpting to do, either here in the real world, with something like epoxy putty, or, once again, on the computer, this time as a fully formed digital model meant for 3D printing. Neither one of these methods is something that I have any real experience with, so I don't have a lot to say here either. I would imagine that if you don't have a 3D printer, or a friend with a 3D printer, then physically sculpting your needed parts is going to be more cost-effective than buying the equipment to go the other route. Hopefully, you just need the single figure and aren't trying to produce a batch of them. If you have the 3D modeling skills, there are places online that will 3D print your part and send it to you. I have not looked into pricing on this, I just know it's a thing that exists. And for those of us who lack the talent and or time and or patience for minifigure customization, just like the component-by-component method we talked about with Clone Troopers, there's always the option to buy complete custom minifigures from professional and semi-professional customizers. Some customizers make them in limited edition batches, and once they're gone, they're gone. Other customizers will print new figures as their e-store runs out of them. And then there are the folks who apparently just mass produce the things. Whenever I hear about someone blowing all of their lottery winnings in a year, I just assume that they're a Lego fan who has discovered custom minifigures. Not because they're incredibly expensive, but because they're moderately expensive and there are so very many of them. Marvel and DC superheroes and villains and civilians that LEGO hasn't gotten around to making. Star Wars characters that have yet to be immortalized in minifigure form. Pretty much any unmade figure from any franchise LEGO has or has had the license for. Figures from franchises LEGO hasn't ever had. Star Trek. Doctor Who. I don't count the ideas set as it was just the one set and not a whole theme. Babylon 5. Firefly, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, G.I. Joe, Transformers. Again, the Optimus Prime set doesn't count. I'm talking about Transformer minifigures. I've even seen customs of Jake and Elwood Blues, complete with printed hands, showing off their knuckle tattoos. Figures from IPs that LEGO wouldn't go anywhere near. Game of Thrones, The Walking Dead... Breaking Bad, Spawn, Alien, Predator. I've seen video game characters from Mario Brothers and Zelda and countless other franchises. Real people, from historical figures to modern-day politicians to celebrities, pro-athletes, musicians, and on and on and on. Even some generic customs from professions that Lego doesn't make figures of. Military figures, more intense police than the standard LEGO City options, SWAT, bomb squad, and the like, priests and nuns. Sometimes there are customs that just come from seemingly out of nowhere. The surfers are a good example of this. I was looking at a custom site sometime last year, and I found a zombie surfer, complete with surfboard. And I remember thinking to myself, that's weird but I can see how there would be people interested in that. I kept looking, and next I saw a Surfing Santa, all decked out in beachwear, another custom surfboard. That time I thought, wow, I don't exactly want that, but if I could think of a use for it, a mock that needed it? Yeah, that would be a definite winner. And then I saw Benny from the Lego movies, Surfing Benny surfwear and the space helmet, and a board. That one I told myself that I actually wanted. But then, then I saw the big one. The name of that fourth surfer was Surfenstein. And it's exactly what you're thinking. A Frankensteinian abomination. Wearing a pair of mismatched board shorts and a stitched-together shirt, unbuttoned, complete with a surfboard that looks as if it had been wired together from chunks of other surfboards. Someday, I will own that figure. Anyway, if there's a market for it, and LEGO hasn't or won't make it, there's a customizer somewhere who very likely does. And when you consider the time and work that goes into designing and producing these, the price tags on them aren't unreasonable. The majority that I've seen tend to be in the $25 to $60 range. Yeah, I've seen them as high as 100 or so. I've also seen a few as low as $12.50. I have no idea what they'd charge if you wanted to commission an original custom. Probably quite a lot. If I had an actual budget for my Lego hobby, I'd seriously look into starting to pick up some custom figures. Maybe buy one every other month or so. But I've got a long way to go before that becomes a reality. Maybe once the podcast reaches the point of monetization. Which reminds me, as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends about it. If you hated it, tell your enemies. Actually, this time, I'm going to say just tell everybody. Tell them, maybe remind them once a week for a little while. The podcast's social media outlets can be found at battlegorilla.com links. Next week's episode might be a little different than normal. In the next episode of the podcast, we hit an odd little milestone. And so instead of being a podcast about Lego, it will be more of a podcast about a Lego podcast. The podcast's intro and outro themes... Podcasting is Awesome, inspired by Tegan and Sarah's Everything is Awesome and Ode to Gibberish were created by Michael Reich. I think I just closed Pandora's box and I want to know if you can punch a sucker how else would you know that I've done everything except any of it you can have your bald eagle afraid of fire and you can eat it too and there could be so much joy and i want my libido well how else i mean wish me luck on the prayers for junk food and